Okay, if you would, please turn to the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 9. I'll be reading Acts chapter 9, verses 19 through 22, starting with the second half of verse 19. For some days, Saul was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, historical word to our minds and our hearts. Let's pray. Father, beg for your help this morning by the indwelling and the power of your Holy Spirit that I'll do justice to these words. Glorify your name. Glorify your presence with us by the Holy Spirit, causing all of us to be attentive, focused, amazed, caught up into the beauty of such a great salvation unto you, beginning now and going forever. Do it, Lord, to the glory of your holy name and to the glory of our Lord, your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so in our journey through the book of Acts, Last week, we came to the place where we saw that the main leading persecutor of the church was sovereignly apprehended on the Damascus Road by the resurrected Lord Jesus Himself. And now He is an utterly changed man from the depths of His heart. He's been born again. He's been filled now with the Holy Spirit. He got baptized. And now, this morning, Luke has the opportunity to summarize the core, the center of Paul's preaching. What will he say? What is first? What is paramount? What is foremost about what Saul of Tarsus, who is now called to be an apostle and will go into the Jewish synagogues to preach, what is the core of his message? And this morning we see there are two things. Two things that are the core of the Gospel. And they're meant to be the core of our lives and of our message. Jesus, I mean, Paul preached Jesus and two things about him. First, Jesus is the Son of God. Secondly, Jesus is the Messiah that was promised in the Hebrew 
Scriptures. And immediately, He proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. These two truths are foundational to every person who is being saved. They are paramount in the minds and in the hearts of God's people. We're to know them. We are to believe them. We are to love the truth of them because that is to love Jesus who is the Son of God and the Messiah. So remember, Paul's world just got totally turned upside down. Saul was his name. The Hebrew of Paul is Saul from Tarsus. He was a zealous Pharisee who was radically devoting the last two years of his life to imprisoning and or killing Christians. He was investing all that he was in order to stamp out this new movement, the Jesus sect from spreading. And so he gets legal documentation to go up into the synagogues beyond Israel, up into the city of Damascus to apprehend and bring back to Jerusalem any of these Jews who are believing in this Jesus. And then right out of the blue, the Lord of the universe, Jesus from Nazareth Himself, intervened and in Saul's life by appearing to him with his glory, his light. He fell to the ground. He was never the same right before he entered the gates of the city of Damascus. And he remained blind for the next few days. He did not eat. He did not drink anything. He only prayed, now knowing that the Jesus of Nazareth, whom he was sure was dead, 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 knew now he's no longer dead. And not only that, he is in fact the very Lord of the universe. And then Jesus goes to one of his other servants, Ananias, there in Damascus, and he gets Ananias to go to Paul to lay his hands on him so Paul can regain his sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Paul is introduced to other Christians, believers, members of Christ's body there in Damascus. And he's baptized. Now, I'm going to pull back for a minute. We saw this last week. Jesus said to Ananias about Paul. Quote, verse 15. Saul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name, the name of Jesus, before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, the Jews. And then Ananias goes and lays his hands on Paul. And Ananias said to Paul, not from Acts chapter 9, but later in Acts 22, we know what he said further. He said this, Brother Saul, the God of our fathers appointed you to know His will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth, because you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and what you have heard. And then, when the Apostle Paul himself tells the fuller story of what Jesus said to him, 
on the Damascus road, which we get from Acts chapter 26, Who are you, Lord? Answer, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me, the resurrected one, and to those in which I will in the future appear to you. There is his experience. And so just like that, Saul is a transformed man. And then Luke tells us in our passage, verses 19 and 20, and for some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. So, we see Paul begins his Christian life with the church at Damascus. And I think Luke intends for us to see the irony that this man who was so vicious, who came to Damascus in order to hunt down Christians in all the synagogues of Damascus, is now going to those synagogues proclaiming that Jesus indeed has been resurrected from the dead. He truly is the Son of God and the Son of David, the Messiah. And it's just utterly shocking. It stunned the entire Jewish community in Damascus. Verse 21, And all who heard Him in these synagogues, the vast majority unbelieving, just Jews, all who heard Him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has He not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? There He is. Now, let's get the flow of Luke. And what we saw last week Paul's on his way to Damascus. The light shines. He falls to the ground along with all those other buddies with him. And Paul, out of his mouth, Luke gives us just this. So all he said, Who are you, Lord? And we don't have any more words from Paul in the whole story Luke's telling until verse 20. Jesus is the Son of God. He got His answer. Oh boy, did He ever get His answer. And so let's unpack. What does Paul mean, Son of God? What is he getting at? We need to, because Luke clearly by the Holy Spirit, wants us to see how foundational this is to the Christian life, to Christianity. Paul preached Jesus. And the first huge reality about Jesus that he preached was that he is the Son of God. Okay, don't... These words are shocking if you understand the culture Paul grew up in and the culture that he is in while he says these words. Because he does not mean Jesus is a Son of God. Well, we all are children of God. He's the Creator. He's the Father of us all. The brotherhood of man and the fatherhood of God. He means nothing like that. No, 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 no. He is proclaiming Jesus, that human being, is the, that's the definite article, the Son of God. 
meaning he is God. For Jews, this is a clear reference to Jesus' divinity, his deity. It's what got Jesus executed. Called a blasphemer. So that you know, I want to prepare you to focus. I'm going to read and quote from Scripture pretty extensively over the next 12 minutes. So focus. Don't let the enemy steal from you the precious words of Jesus of God, of His servants. So Jesus in His ministry, first of all, in John chapter 5, listen carefully. Jesus answered them, My Father, okay, He's a man in His humanity here. My Father, that may, means He's the Son. My Father is working until now, and I am working. Then the next thing John tells us, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him. Because Jesus was even calling God His own Father. Making Himself Equal with God. The Son of God. It means the, not a, but the unique Son of God. God's Son in a way that no one else is or ever will be nor possibly could be. Even we who are sons of God are not the Son of God. In Luke 10, Jesus spoke of this uniqueness, of His unique relationship with God. The Father. In verse 22, he says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father. Or who the Father is. Except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Like to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. Or maybe you. In John 8. I'm going to read, not all of it, pick and choose as we flow down just for time's sake, but there, there's a long dialogue that Jesus is having with Jews in the temple in Jerusalem. So listen to the significance of the words of Jesus. Starting with verse 18, He says, the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said to him, therefore, where is your Father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. And then the conversation continues, and Jesus says, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. 
I told you that you would die in your sins because unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. You're from below. You're created of the dust. That's what He's saying. This is where you're from. From Adam on, you were all born of your mother. You came into being down here from below. I came through the womb of my mother too, but that's not where I began. I came from above. That's what he's saying. I am the eternal Son of the Father who sent me. And then Jesus continues there in John 8. I came from God, and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but He sent me. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known Him. I know Him. If I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know Him, and I keep His Word. Your father Abraham rejoiced, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not even 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And they knew what he was saying. Ego eimi in Greek. God, who do I send? Set me. Moses, you tell him. Tell them. I am. Who I am sent you. And that's why the next line says, so they picked up stones to throw at Jesus. And then John lets us in on Jesus' praying to the Father that horrible night. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And at his trial in the middle of the night, Jesus was asked in Mark 14 by the high priest, Are you... The Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One. It means, are you the Son of God? Blessed One just substitutes God to not say it there. Are you the Messiah, the Son of God? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see me seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And he went to the cross. And he was resurrected to new immortal human life. And Thomas wasn't there that Sunday, but the next Sunday he was there. Jesus showed up again. 
touch me and see, Thomas. I'm not a ghost. I'm not a spirit. It's the real body transformed. It's me. And he does. And out of Thomas's mouth comes, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Don't call me God. You missed it. No, 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 no. He didn't say that. He received it. Because it was the absolute truth that the man standing before Thomas is God, the Son. My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Is that you? They tried Jesus for blasphemy because he was claiming that he himself was equal to God. And it is blasphemy to say that if it's not true. Saul didn't believe it. And he hated that blasphemous Jesus doctrine. And so he's on his way to Damascus. And lo and behold, he's there in Damascus, in those synagogues, now preaching, I was wrong. Jesus, in fact, is the Son of God. He is God. Now some more. Let's follow Paul here. Because Luke summarizes his message, right? It's what he's doing. But let's follow Paul and his teaching then throughout the next number of decades that he wrote down for us so we can really grasp from Paul. Yes, is that what you meant? So here he goes. In Colossians 1, Paul, what do you mean about Jesus being the Son of God? He writes this. God has delivered us Christians from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. And He, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything He might be preeminent. Because in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And in chapter 2 of Colossians, for in Christ Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And Paul writes in Titus 2.13, we are waiting for the blessed hope that the second coming of Jesus. We are waiting for the blessed hope that is this, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in Romans 9.5, he writes, To them, my fellow Jews, to us Jews, belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to humanity or the flesh, is the Messiah, who is God over all. Blessed forever. And of course, Philippians 2. Paul writes, Christ Jesus. Who is He? He's the one who, though He was in the form, morphe, in nature, the nature of God, He did not count His equality with God. A thing to be grasped, meaning a thing to prevent him from 
becoming human. He didn't. He didn't, though he's equal with God. And he says, this is what he did, therefore. But instead, he emptied himself by taking the morphe, the nature of a servant, and being born in the likeness of humanity, of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so when Paul... In our passage, immediately goes into synagogue after synagogue after synagogue in the city of Damascus. He began preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. And he clearly meant by that, Jesus is God. Elohim. Yahweh. The eternal Son of the Father. He's saying, yes, he is a real, genuine human being. He was conceived in the womb of Mary. He was born. He grew up. And you cut him, proven on that day on the cross in the whips. He bleeds blood. And then his heart finally stopped and he died. He is saying, this person is in fact God. The Creator. Without beginning. The Scripture is unambiguous about this claim. Listen to these words from the book of Hebrews chapter 1. In these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed to be the heir, the inheritor of all things, and through whom also God created the world through His Son, his Son is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His divine nature. And His Son upholds the universe by the word of His power. But He became human for the next line. And after making purification for sins, he was raised and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And the writer goes on, of the Son of God, Psalm 45 says this, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom and therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And of course, the Gospel of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And the Word, who is God, became human flesh, lived and dwelt among us. Listen to John. And we have seen His glory. What is that? He says, it's the glory as of the only Son from the Father. When Paul proclaims Jesus is the Son of God. He is saying this 
very true man is not merely human. He is truly human. But before he took to his person human nature, he always possessed without a beginning the divine nature. Before creation, he was the Son of the Father from all eternity without beginning. The Father that he speaks of, the Father is God. Not part God. The Father is 100% God. The Son is God. 100% God. The Holy Spirit is God. There is only one God. There are not three gods. There's only one divine nature. Three persons in the one Godhead. Three persons, one essence or nature that is divine. The Father is not the Son. And the Son is not the Father. They're two distinct persons in the Godhead. And the Holy Spirit is neither the Father nor the Son. The Father is fully God, and the Son is fully God, and the Holy Spirit is fully God. God is three persons, one nature. Now, the Father, the one who eternally begets the Son, did not become a human being. The Holy Spirit, who has eternally, without beginning, been proceeding from the relationship of the Father and Son, did not become a human being. The Son, who is the eternally begotten of the Father, became a human being. He's only one person. Not two persons, not a human Jesus and a divine Jesus. One person who now and forever will have two distinct natures. Human and divine. 100% human. 100% divine. And in that person, our Lord and Savior, those two natures never mix. So that the divine nature mixes in a pot of soup with the human nature, and you stir it around and it becomes some third kind of a hybrid, crazy, divine human. On the road to Damascus, this is the one that encountered Paul. This is the one whom Paul ran into. The God-man. Who suffered and died and was resurrected and seated at the right hand of God. And now, in His resurrection, appears in all of His glory to Saul of Damascus. And then Saul, in town, goes to the synagogues and immediately preaches Jesus. He is God. The Son. He's the Son 
of God. And then Luke also tells us in verse 22 now. And so as Paul grew stronger and stronger in his boldness, which we're going to see over the weeks to come, uh, they wanted to kill him now because of it. The persecutor became the persecuted. Why? Because he confounded the Jews. How? By proving that Jesus is the Messiah. The Christ, that's what Christ is, the Greek word Christos, which means anointed, taken from the Hebrew, Mashiach, which means anointed, which, which we get over into to the English, Messiah. And Messiah throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, throughout the Old Testament, refers to the, the prophesied one, the promised one who is to come who will be in David's line. Just to summarize real quickly, here's Paul as he opens up his great, great book we call Romans. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle on the road to Damascus, set apart for the gospel of God, which He promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning His Son. There's His divinity. God's Son. Concerning His Son who was descended from David according to His humanity. There's His humanity according to the flesh. And so Paul confounded the Jews in Damascus by proving that Jesus indeed is the promised Son of David, the Messiah. In other words, he's going to text after text after scroll after scroll and saying it's right there and Jesus of Nazareth fits these things to the T. Wouldn't you like to be there just to hear Paul preach? I don't know, for three minutes or something? What do you say? And that's where we're going to go. Because Luke gives it to us a little bit later in chapter 13. Here he just summarized. Here's the core of his message. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. But the very first recorded sermon of Paul's in the book of Acts is in chapter 13. Now, without doing the whole thing because of time, I'm going to read how Paul, this is what he did in Antioch of Pisidia, in the synagogue, okay, to Jews. So this is what most likely he was doing in these synagogues and what he was saying to them in Damascus. Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen, the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And then, with uplifted arm, He led them out by the hand of Moses. And then eventually in the land, Saul was raised up with his king, and then he got rid of him. And then he raised up David to be their king, of whom the Lord testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. Of this Man, David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior. Jesus, just as He's promised. You see, to us has been, has, has been sent the message of this salvation. Because for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers... Because they did not recognize Jesus, the Son of David, for who He was, nor did they understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath. What they ended up doing was fulfilling those prophecies by condemning Jesus. 
And though they found no guilt in him worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written in the Scriptures about Jesus, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring to you here in Damascus good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children. By raising Jesus from the dead. And therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. That's how he preached. And so Paul confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Son of David, the Christ, the Messiah. Jesus, oh gosh, I want the Holy Spirit to be strongly amongst us right now. Jesus is God's eternal Son. And He is Messiah, the promised one through the lineage of David. He is the Christ, as the Scriptures foretold long before He ever showed up on the scene. Those two Things are crucial and core to understanding Christianity. And they're crucial. And they're core for your life. For your living. Oh, may God's grace be here. Strongly that our minds would see that our hearts would embrace, that we would feel it, that we would sense it, that we would be floored and impacted by the significance that Jesus is the Son of God. Because long before God created anything. God, by definition, has always been infinitely and omnipotently happy, filled, contented, without an idea of boredom. He has been eternally joyful in all of His internal glory precisely because He is the Holy Trinity. From all eternity, God the Father has been worshiping looking to, loving that which is definitionally the most beautiful, delightful, energizing, fulfilling perfection in existence. And He has seen, knows it in His omniscience so purely that His delight as the Father has been the one who has always objectively viewed it outside of His person in the person of His Son. 
and the Son for all eternity has been worshiping the attributes of God in all of His holiness and beauty and relational stuff in the face of the Father. That's who He is. And then you open up Genesis 1 and the beginning God creates the heaven and the earth and He creates human nature. God's plan from before creation is to redeem for Himself a people by the work of His eternal Son who would become one of them so that His people may share in His divine joy and happiness and glory. Indeed, in His love. That's why He created. And if you find yourself to be a person that the Son chose to reveal the Father to you, you listen carefully to Paul's words here. They could just fly over our head when he writes in Colossians 1.13. God has delivered us who are all sinners and hated Him, didn't taste Him, didn't know Him. He delivered us from the domain of darkness. And then He transferred us into another realm. Transferred us into the kingdom of his, his beloved son. Okay. Now, in, literally in the Greek, it's transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Oh, that we would see that. If we'd see it, we would understand that Christianity is not about rules in religion. It is about God. And it is about reality. And it is about experiencing that. Jesus, the Son of God, Okay, this is what, let me just go back again, because look, Christianity is so often by us Christians preached as if, well, if I can just get them to say, yep, okay, I believe in Jesus, I got that one right, no, I'm not Hindu, I don't believe in that, I don't believe in the, the, the doctrine of Islam, and, and I'm not a Buddhist, and I don't believe in this, that, or I got the right thing, I pulled the trigger, I'm going to go to, and we're clueless about Christianity when we talk like that. That is not why people go to heaven. They go to heaven because God transferred them into the realm of His beloved Son. And that changes everything in them. It's not rules, it's reality. And that's why now that's why Jesus, the name of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the Son of God Himself, is the only way into the experience of God's love. Right now. And forever. 
listen to his really close friend, the Apostle John. He writes in 1 John 5, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. The only way to experience God's life and love for all eternity is to have His Son. That's why John writes in chapter 2, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. To have the Father's forgiving, wonderful, caretaking love poured out upon you, you must have His one and only eternal Son. That's the only way to have the loving, saving, delightful relationship with God. That's why John writes in chapter 1 of his first epistle, that which we apostles have seen of the resurrected Jesus, and we've heard, we preach it also to you, so that you also, got to get this word, may have koinonia, you may have fellowship, relationship with us, the church. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Okay. Do you see it? The very eternal love and joy, happiness, satisfaction that the Father has in the Son and the Son in the Father, which lacks nothing because that very dynamic community of love and adoration and fulfillment between the Father and the Son has eternally been personified in the Holy Spirit. That relationship is the personification of God, the Holy Spirit. And that to us creatures, being redeemed is God's love to His people who are in Christ, His Son. Listen to how Paul, and what Paul says in Romans 5, 5. Hope in the midst of all the horror, blood, disappointment, trials, and testing, every other thing we who are believers go down and go through here. Hope, future resurrection. Hope does not put us to shame. Why, Paul? Because... The love of God. Okay, I'm going to stop for a minute. He's got to mean this for you Greek students. The subjective genitive. Or it makes no sense. Meaning, our ability to love God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is loving God personified. 
the Holy Spirit comes into us so that we also may experience and taste the love that the Son has for the glory of God the Father. That's why the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father! Okay. Do you see what he said? Every sinful human being who has been called to faith in Christ have within them this genuine Christ-centered address to God, the Father. Father, I love you. You are glorious. You are amazing. You are sovereign. You are right. And you say, where did that ability come from in us who were born into this world, dead to sin, hating God? It came from the eternal Son, His Spirit, placed within our spirit. That's what Jesus saved us for to share in the glory of the Trinity. And we will do that. Oh, we will do that in ways unimaginable to any of us now, now when Jesus returns and we are in our resurrected bodies and we no longer have this sin nature burden that causes darkness and fuzziness through everything I'm saying this morning. One day, unhindered, oh, we will come into the experience of His glory in a way unimaginable. But, even now, even now as yet sinners, He has called us into the experience of the Father's love toward us. Precisely because we are in His Son whom He loves. Got to get that. Not only that, but our ability to love and to delight in and to enjoy the Father comes by Jesus' love for the Father being in us, in the person of the Holy Spirit. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. Thus, we cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father, That's our number one calling as Christians. That's it. Before evangelism, before missions, before giving, before acting. This is always our number one calling to wake up every day with all of your troubles and pains and worries and uncertainties and sicknesses and to commune by the Holy Spirit, with the Father, and with the Son. This is what the Apostle Paul proclaimed in Damascus.
Jesus is the Son of God. And He is the Son of David, our Savior. Let's pray. Father, this is what we mean when we are desperate to be filled with Your Holy Spirit, that we may know You more and more as Your Son prayed. This is eternal life. To know You, Father, and to know Your eternal Son. Do it in us, your people, all the more as the days draw near to the glory of Jesus.